1: Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor, give us a five-star review, and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.
0: Good evening, Paula.
1: Hello, Mr. Roberts.
0: How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. We are Dean and Paula Roberts. We are co-coaches of the RYR Endurance Team.
0: Because two coaches are better than one.
1: Two heads are better than
0: one. How are your two legs doing?
1: Well, let's see. We are three days post-race, and I was kind of amazed all day Saturday after the race, even traveling home, getting out for breaks. My quads felt great, and I thought, ah, it paid off. My nutrition plan paid off. My quads aren't going to be trashed. And then I woke up Sunday morning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Delayed reaction?
1: delayed reaction so yes the quads were extremely sore sunday and monday and now it's late tuesday evening and they feel a little sore but it's easier to move around get up and down not running yet
0: yeah but you have been in the pool i have
1: gotten back in the pool two days in a row
0: well look at you look at me go you'll be ready for your first triathlon of the year in no time
1: yes so, this week is spring break for our schools, and our son and his wife are teachers. So, I'm not going to be babysitting sweet Ellie Ann this week. That's sad. Yeah, but Jacob and Ellie Ann came over yesterday, and we got to go to the park with her, and it was fun. She's sweet.
0: One of these days, I'm going to have to go to the park with you all.
1: She just loves to swing, she laughs out loud.
0: So, that's one of the things about working from home is I know what all is going on that I'm missing. <laughs> Whereas if I was at work, I wouldn't know what was going on that I was missing.
1: Well, you don't know what you missed today at lunch because for your lunch break, you went swimming. I did. But our beautiful eldest child, Bethany, came and had lunch with me and my mom and a friend.
0: Well, how nice was that? It was fun. I didn't know.
1: Now you know. Yeah. What we do right before this podcast...
0: Oh, bring that up. (laughs) We had supper, and as we often do, now that we're empty nesters, we played skip bow, and you have been on a run. Ever since I commented on my improved skip bow skills, you have been on a tear, and now we are tied in tally marks.
1: Yes, it was Dean Roberts 7, Paula Roberts 2, went on the podcast You really bragged about how you improved your skip bow skills. And what's the tally today?
0: It is nine to nine. (laughs) (laughs) There's always tomorrow.
1: Always tomorrow. The game truly is luck. We enjoy it. We do.
0: Mindless entertainment.
1: Yes. Sometimes we just need to get our mind off of all things.
0: So I think we should talk about your race. Have you completed your post race documentation?
1: I've completed most of it. Yeah. Yeah. I might tweak a thing or two.
0: But it's good to document your experience so you'll know next time what worked well and what you can improve on. And if it's any if your race was anything like mine, there are just certain moments that just stand out that you want to just capture on paper. So that you can look back on it and rekindle some memories. Maybe share with our grandchild at some point. I'm sure she'll love our stories. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) Maybe she'll be an endurance athlete as well. Who knows? She has to start walking on her own first.
1: Well, she walks on her own. She just won't let go of my fingers just because she loves me
0: so much. That is true. (laughs) So let's talk about your race.
1: All right. Well, let's do it.
0: So let me get started. So we arrived on Friday, the day before the race, and I was pretty excited because, you know, pandemic, post-pandemic, whatever you wanna call it, this is a real outdoor race, and I was really amazed and surprised how many people there were. Yes, everybody's wearing masks, but it was packed. It was almost the way things used to be. So the expo was outdoors, it was cold, But had all the tents set up, selling stuff, advertising things. It was pretty well organized at the expo. Easy to find. Parking was easy. So it was a very low-stress evening. So that was great. And I think you had supper in the room just to keep it low-stress and so you could eat exactly what you knew would work for you. But I remember the night before, you asking me what to wear. On race day.
1: I don't know why I asked you.
0: <laughs> the temperature was expected to be around 30. You know, feels like around 30. So, you already knew my answer. Shorts and a singlet. <laughs> what else do you need? You keep your fingers warm. You keep your ears warm. and Everything else will be just fine. But what did you end up wearing?
1: <laughs> I wore long tights. And I wore my tri-kit top because my flip belt works best i have to slide it around it works best on my tri-kit top and then i had a thin zipper pullover over top of that and then i had a really thick like one of my favorite biking jackets and it was really warm
0: so you were comfortable at the start
1: oh my teeth were chattering freezing yes It might have been nerves, but my teeth
0: were literally chattering. Right. So, as coaches, we offer suggestions, we give advice. <laughs> Athletes don't always follow it. <laughs> Sorry and that's about that. okay.
1: Sorry about that. That's okay. So, my excitement pre races, we avoided porta potties altogether, and reading other athlete comments afterward, evidently the porta potty lines were huge. We never had to go to a porta potty.
0: No, from where we parked, we were real close to the Monon Trail, which was part of the course, and it took us right to the expo area, which was where the start and finish was at, and the crowds. and we stumbled upon the Hotel Carmichael, and there were a lot of athletes in there. It was warm, and there were restrooms available.
1: And nobody at these restrooms.
0: Yeah. How lucky was that?
1: It was awesome. So we got to stay in where it was warm, use the restroom with running water, and then waltz out to the start line. Very nice. So I'll talk just a little bit about the course. The website advertised the course as fast and flat. Well, let me tell you what is fast and flat. Our hometown.
0: Compared to that, yes.
1: (laughs) So there were many flat sections on this course. However, I would classify it as... Portions flat, but a fair share of rolling hills. There were probably... Well, this is just what I remember. It was a long race. But I can remember three sections that were more of a climb than rolling hills. So it wasn't a flat course, but it was a fair course. It wasn't Mount Everest by any stretch of the imagination.
0: That's good to know.
1: So my Garmin, which never accurately measures elevation neither on running nor on biking my Garmin's never accurate but it captured 355 feet of elevation gain which really doesn't sound like that much over 26.2 miles but the hills were felt but just for comparison purposes my longest training run leading up this marathon was 16.24 miles which is a little bit lower for me than usual but i enjoyed the training cycle anyway that longest training run captured 107 feet of elevation gain and that was literally running on no noticeable elevation so i don't know how the garmin calculates elevation but it's not accurate so when i was talking with jacob He said that just for the half marathon that he raced, his Garmin Phoenix calculated 364 feet of gain, where my full marathon calculated 355 feet of gain.
0: Yeah, it's really hard for the watches to estimate the elevation. Before the race, while I was doing some reconnaissance, I mapped out the marathon course And the tool I was using showed 723 feet of gain.
1: I don't know what the total elevation was, but it was certainly not a pancake flat course. And if we decide to go to this race again, I'm definitely going to train on hills to prepare better.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. If we're going to do this course again, we need to do some training runs on at least rolling hills. Agreed. You always want to practice on something similar to what race condition is going to be.
1: Agreed. And I didn't do a lot of research on this course. We signed up for this race basically because our son Jacob found it. And since he was going to race it and the website said fast and flat, I decided, hey, I missed my December race. I think I'll sign up for this one.
0: Yeah, I believe it's advertised as one of the top 50 Boston qualifying courses.
1: Oh, I don't know. I think it is. I don't know. Anyway, this course was two distinct loops each measuring 13.1 miles. The first 13.1 miles was shoulder-to-shoulder congestion. There was very little space to navigate and pass slower-moving athletes. So when we went to the expo, the race bibs that were issued actually had corral markings on them. So if it had an A in it, you were the faster runners, and you started in the A corral. If it were B next fastest runners, etc. So there were several corrals and the bib told you which corral to get in. So this was organized so that passing would be minimized on the course just to try to minimize congestion because it's frustrating when you have a pace goal in mind and you're stuck in a bunch of congestion.
0: Yeah, it helps everybody out if people start in the correct order based on how fast they can run. Yeah. So,
1: however, there were no volunteers monitoring bibs and corral entrance. Thus, I noticed as I was walking back to my B corral that there were a ton of bibs that had D on them in the A corral. And then when I got in the B corral, other than the corral itself was marked B, you wouldn't have known you were in the B corral because I was surrounded by C, B, D. All the letters. I didn't see any A. I think the A racers were probably all in the A corral.
0: The A racers are probably more experienced and know where they're supposed to be.
1: Right. So we had checked at the expo. Since mine and Kelly's bib said B on it, we wanted to make sure that the 350 pace group was going to be starting in the B corral. And that's correct. They were starting in the B corral. This is also, the 350 marathon pace is also the same as the 155 half marathon pace group. If you do the math on that, that's the exact same pace. And that's an extremely popular pace group, as many half marathoners set a go to try to break two hours.
0: Yeah, and in this race, the first 13 miles were together.
1: Yes, the half marathoners and marathoners... Started together and the whole first loop was basically the half marathon race, right? Anyway, when we entered the corral, it was very weird because first of all, I didn't see the 350 pace sign I saw 335 I saw 340 I saw 345 I saw 355 I saw 405 so I saw a bunch of signs But it was almost like the pacers were congregated together
0: so <laughs> All in the bee Corral.
1: All in the bee Corral and not separated whatsoever. But finally, before the race started, the guy holding the 350 sign actually held it up. And so I could see off to my left a little bit where the 350 pacer was.
0: So I just kept my eye on that sign. So I wasn't with you at the start because Bethany was doing the 10K and it started 10 minutes before the marathon and half marathon started so I rushed to the vehicle to go out onto the course so I could cheer her on leaving Shelby with all the clothes <laughs> sorry about that Shelby
1: so backing up just a little bit I went into this race with my a go my B go and C go and my b goal was really kind of my a goal, but I had an a goal, if that makes sense. It doesn't, but I'll try to explain it.
0: It's always a good idea to have more than one goal.
1: Yes, it is. Just
0: so that you don't lose hope if your A-goal doesn't work out the way you had expected.
1: Right, but you just don't want to talk yourself out of your A-goal too soon. No, you don't. So, anyway, my first goal was to hang with the 350 pace group for as long as I could, and... If that would be the entire race, I would have been elated. The main reason that I chose this was I had been training with my friend and training partner, Kelly. And her Boston qualifying time is 3.50. So I knew that she was going to tuck into that pace group for at least the first half of the race and see what she had the second half of the race. And I wanted to hang with her and provide support for her as long as I could.
0: Yeah, it's great when you can race with somebody else and encourage each other and help with pacing.
1: Yeah. But in my race plan, you know that document we ask all of our athletes to complete weeks before race day? You know that one? I do. So here was my stated goal, which I guess I call this my b goal because it's not as challenging as the 350 pace group. Okay, So I'm just reading this from my race plan. Here's what it says. Get a quote-unquote flat course PR. So my current flat course PR is 3.56.28, which was in April of 2018 at the Cheap Marathon in Salisbury, Massachusetts. Correct. And then my most recent marathon time was Grand Rapids in September of 2018. Twenty And that was a 357.01. So I, as a footnote, I do have an overall PR of 348.17, which I worked hard to obtain. But I do have an asterisk beside of it because it was a net downhill course.
0: Yeah, and that Jack and Jill course or Tunnel Light Marathon course, that's an amazing course out in Washington. What's the name of the little town? Snoqualmie or? Snoqualmie, Washington. Yeah, awesome course if you get a chance to run it two and a half miles in pitch black through a train tunnel. So that was pretty awesome. But I did want to say something about your Grand Rapids race. You know, for Carmel, the one we're talking about, You it was advertised as fast and flat and you found some hills. Well, that's the same thing we experienced at the Grand Rapids race. We expected it to be flat and fast, but... There were some hills on that course, on this multi-loop course. So you just never know what you're going to get on race day. Sometimes things aren't exactly as advertised.
1: That's true. So if you don't do your homework, you don't know what you're going to get. Which I'll have to say for the Carmel Race, I didn't do a lot of recon
0: on the course. So I had done some recon and provided it to the athletes that were participating, including you. (laughs) <laughs> including the elevation, but I'm not sure the elevation that I pulled off of the uh, mapping site that I prefer accurately reflects what you experienced.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to go back and look at all that hard work you did. <laughs> Whoops.
0: <laughs> That's okay.
1: <laughs> so my stated go in the race plan became my be-go to beat Three hours, 56 minutes, and 28 seconds. My personal best on a course that doesn't have a net elevation loss. And then my C goal, if B fell apart, my C goal was to finish the marathon having fully implemented my nutrition plan that had been also detailed in my pre race plan. And I had practiced it many times during my training blog. I had struggled in my last couple of marathons to be consistent with my nutrition. So that was a goal that I was going to accomplish no matter what happened on race day.
0: Yeah, when we were in Grand Rapids, your last marathon, you and I ran <laughs> together and I was carrying some of your nutrition. And Bethany was handing nutrition on this lapped course and,
1: <laughs> and I was pitching it to the side.
0: <laughs> for some reason, you just said, I don't want any. I don't want any. I don't want any. <laughs> I don't want any.
1: Yeah. yeah. I have lessons learned. I have changed my nutrition substantially from that race because it was more of a solid food nutrition plan and that was not happening.
0: Yeah. Every person's stomach and dietary needs are different, so you just you just got to experiment and figure out what works for you.
1: Yes. So those were my A, B, and C goals. Once the race began, the pacers and the pace groups had an extremely hard time settling into a pace. Our target pace for the 350 group would have been around 846, yet there were many, many, many slower-moving and even walking athletes who started in Corral A, and the pipeline was clogged. I kept the 350 pace sign in sight, and I really wasn't checking my watch. At that point, it wouldn't have mattered. I know we went through the first half mile pretty slow therefore the second half mile when the pacer found a little bit of space we were flying but to my surprise overall the first mile clocked exactly 846 and even more to my surprise my watch clicked a mile at the exact time i was crossing the course mile mark that's a first for me This was also my first race with your Christmas gift to me, the Garmin 245 Music. Yeah,
0: and how did that work for you?
1: I mean, my one was spot on.
0: It's pretty good. Speaking of Christmas gifts, I think you bought this for yourself, but how did your new race shoes do in the marathon?
1: They felt good. I I felt like I ran well in them. I liked them. I feel like they, I train in the, well, my favorite training shoe is the Nike Epic React, but they discontinued that, and I'm on my last pair. So I've also trained in the Nike Infinity React, which has a little bit bigger drop, but I do well with it. But both of those shoes have a similar feel as the Nike that I ran in.
0: Was it the Vaporflies?
1: Yeah, but both of those shoes, I feel prepared me well for the Nike vapor flies that I raced in.
0: Yeah, good.
1: Yep. From the beginning, the race felt hard. My breathing felt labored, my chest felt tight. But just as we preach as coaches, I I decided not to let mile one determine the entire 26.2 miles. For my age and level of fitness, my expected marathon effort should yield a heart rate averaging in the mid 150s. I don't monitor my heart rate while training. Only my rate of perceived effort, but looking at the data after those training runs, marathon effort always resulted in the mid-150s for my heart rate. Anyway, I continued to hang on with the 350 pacer through mile two, even though I could tell that my effort was well above what I could maintain for 26.2 miles. Looking back at the data after the race, my heart rate had already spiked to 171 in mile two
0: that's not a good sign
1: yeah fortunately i don't monitor my heart rate it's not a field on my visible screen so i knew i wasn't feeling well but if i'd seen that i don't know what it would have done to my psyche but again it was super crowded lots of elbow and shoulder bumping lots of weaving around tons of runners who likely started in the wrong corral
0: so you were off to a rough start
1: I was off to a rough start. By mile three, Kelly and I finally worked our way into being tucked in right behind the 350 pacer. And I realized that the race was likely going to be super crowded until the half marathoners finished. The pacer was all over the place trying to keep our group on target. But this required a lot of running under pace as we get blocked behind slower moths. And then... We'd make up for it by going faster when we could. And I am not faulting the pacer whatsoever. He did a great job keeping us on track given the difficult conditions. And miraculously, we made it to 13.1 miles in 154.34, which is pretty darn close to 155 target at the half.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's really good considering all the obstacles. Yeah
1: I've been a pacer before at a local race under much easier conditions and I wasn't that accurate with my pacing.
0: <laughs> so I'm just thinking about how crowded it was and like I mentioned before I headed out to cheer on Bethany or in 10k and then after I cheered her on I went out to the first loop of the marathon slash half marathon course to cheer on Jacob and I was really surprised how many runners there were around Jacob. But I'm wondering if it was so crowded just because of all the turns. And I'm guessing Carmel, Indiana got a Kmart blue light special on roundabouts. (laughs) There must be a thousand roundabouts in Carmel, Indiana. We have one in Owensboro and it's difficult enough. Before I was working from home, when I was in an office... I could sometimes look out the window and see the one roundabout in Owensboro, and cars just had a tough time figuring out which way to go through the roundabout. But I'm guessing if you live in Carmel, Indiana, and you've got to go through 10 or 15 of those each way to and from work, you finally get the hang of it. But it was challenging for me on race morning navigating all those, and I'm guessing. Well, did the course have a lot of roundabouts?
1: It seemed to have a lot more than it actually had. I read somewhere after the race that it had nine. But, I mean, if I had to guess, I would have guessed twice that many. It seemed like we
0: were always... But if there's all these roundabouts, you've got all these curves, then everybody's trying to take the tangent. And so if you're passing somebody slower than you, you've either got to slow down or you have to go farther to go around them.
1: Yes, and Jacob was running more around a hour and 40-minute finish, so you probably didn't even see the crowding that I was in with the 155 half-marathon pacer.
0: Yeah, when I saw Jacob, there were a lot of people around him, but it wasn't crowded.
1: Yeah, so miles one and two had several ascents and a fair headwind a little over two miles, until mile five there was a slight headwind but mostly crosswind mile five to seven was a tailwind followed by a slight tail but mostly crosswind from mile seven to about 11 and a quarter about 11 and a quarter until 13.1 mile finish there was a pretty substantial headwind i think by the time we turn to that final direction which is also the direction we started, the wind had picked up quite a bit in that couple of hours.
0: I'm impressed with your memory.
1: Well, I'm not going to really say I could remember all that, but I knew which way the wind was blowing. So as I was thinking about my post race, I was looking at the map, knowing where the headwinds would be and where the tailwinds were.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yep. So as we were coming into the separation point where the half marathoners were finishing, I would accidentally gotten into that finish lane and a volunteer had to redirect me. I found out later that Kelly was hoping I was in the wrong lane on purpose as she was ready to throw in the towel and switch to the half. I had intentionally not been communicating with Kelly during this entire 13.1 miles. We were still together, but I did not want her to know I was struggling. I didn't want to say or do anything That would discourage her or put doubt in her head or prevent her from having a great race.
0: Well, that had to be revealing to both of you that there was no conversation going on because you all talk all the time when you're running, don't you?
1: Yes, I would say she is the more talkative one and I I listen more. But without dialogue going back and forth, it was probably a telltale sign that something wasn't right. Yeah. So after the half finish, I saw Bethany, our daughter, and I saw you, Coach Dean. Bethany was giving Kelly her nutrition as the aid stations weren't providing any nutrition. So, And then you had my nutrition. Yes, I did. So at that point, I honestly thought my race was finished. I looked at you and said, come with me a minute, (laughs) which in my mind, I said that kindly. But when you were explaining it later, it sounded like, maybe it didn't come across very nicely so
0: no it came across more like run with me
1: (laughs) (laughs) anyway my heart literally felt like it was beating out of my chest and when you joined me on the course briefly i slowed to a walk and all i can remember is seeing that 350 pace group just instantaneously vanishing so then i immediately realized Kelly had stopped too. So I looked at her and said, you go on, I'm struggling. I'm not going to be able to keep the 350 pace. She expressed immediate relief as I didn't realize she had also struggled from the gate and was also hanging on, trying not to discourage me. So I walked a few more steps with you. I got my nutrition and my earbuds. I asked if she was ready to start running again and we did. Looking back at the data after the race, from mile 12 to 13.1, my heart rate had peaked at 185, and the average for that mile was 173. And that's just, I mean, that's well above what my body can handle. I mean, I'm 54 years old.
0: Yeah, your body was on overload right then. But what I remember about that bottle exchange was that... You asked me to run with you, which surprised me. And I realized the reason you wanted me to run with you is you were taking clothes off. And then you were having trouble getting your bottle out of your flip belt. Then you wanted your AirPods, but you ran on. Kelly stopped and helped me get the AirPods out of the bag I was carrying. And she had the normal, cheerful smile like she always does. And then she took off. And I told Bethany, I said... I think mom's hurting, and I think Kelly's going to have to really encourage mom to get her to the finish line. You just never know. You never
1: know. Anyway, at that, by that point, I knew Kelly's ego was shot. I guess you didn't hear her say that she was struggling. They I did wanted not. wanted to quit. Yeah, okay. So, But I also knew that she'd want me to go for my B-go, my flat course PR, if I had it in me. She asked me several times if I was going to be able to maintain the pace. And I honestly didn't know how to answer her. I mean, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, there is no way. But we settled back into a pace that kept me in the game. But the headwind continued to be <laughs> continued to be rough. I decided to fight through the headwind. And I made up my mind I wasn't going to make a decision about the race and destroy my PR go until I turned a corner and at least had a crosswind instead of a headwind.
0: So let me ask a question. Mm -hmm. So I know when I did the Gulf Coast Marathon, I had a, a little bit of a headwind, not nearly as severe as what you dealt with, but I changed my stride just a little bit to lean into the wind. Did you recall doing anything different with the wind?
1: No, I wanted to maintain my form. I didn't want to create any kind of injury. I just wanted to maintain, I tried to maintain my form. Yeah. Okay. So I hadn't studied the course as much as I wish I had, but I knew that if I had just done five miles in a headwind, that a tailwind had to be coming because I knew it was a loop. Have you ever heard the saying, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming? <laughs>
0: that's timely for Easter.
1: It was timely for the day before Easter and I was thinking about that and again I was dialed in and decided I wasn't going to make a decision in the headwind. So at about 16 and a half miles I finally turned and it wasn't into a tailwind it was just a 90 degree turn so I was in a crosswind and I really didn't feel relief and then to add insult to injury there is an extremely steep incline and again i know all this is relative but compared to what i trained on it was an extremely steep incline onto an overpass and i guess that was probably around 17 and a quarter-ish miles
0: yeah did you find any relief at all being in a crowded environment from the wind
1: i know that when i split off from the half marathoners that the wind really seemed to pick up And it may be because there was less of a crowd to block the wind. But the wind, if you go back and look at the weather that day, the wind did consistently increase over the course of the marathon. Okay. So as I turned and saw this overpass, and I was still in a crosswind, this is when I was ready to concede. I looked over my shoulder to find Kelly, but I didn't see her. I began walking up the overpass, I could see three young ladies. They were about 20 yards ahead. They were spectators, and they were encouraging another runner that was in front of me who had started walking, and they cheered and were just so excited when she began running again. When I approached them, they did the same for me. I glanced again to try to find Kelly. I didn't see her, but with the encouragement from these strangers, I ran to the peak of the hill, and kind of a spoiler alert, I never walked again, so I walked a little bit when I saw you, and that caused that mile from 13 to 14 to be maybe a 9.24 pace, and then I walked a little bit longer up that incline before I got to these encouragers, and that mile was a 9.47 pace. So those were my two slowest miles in the marathon. So taking those few steps up that incline, I guess did have a benefit because looking back at the data, my heart rate really recovered. And then Sunday came.
0: (laughs) It was Friday, but now it's Sunday.
1: Yes, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And Sunday came. At mile 18, two things happened. And when I say mile 18, that's ish. It's in the neighborhood of mile 18. The first was I finally made... Another turn that gave me the full-on tailwind. And let me tell you, it was noticeable. Sweet. So I'm super glad I did not make the decision to concede in the headwind because the tailwind was noticeable. The effort became manageable and my pace began increasing. Then, soon thereafter, the 3.55 pace leaders overtook me. I realized then that even after walking twice, I could possibly reach my goal of beating three fifty six twenty eight because this was the 355 pace group.
0: Yeah. I'm just wondering if the 355 pace group was going extra fast now that they turned into the tailwind. I don't know. Because they caught you. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know.
1: I had, no, I had probably not yet sped back up to a 3.55 pace when they overtook me. Okay. I didn't know how many runners were in the group. I didn't even see any runners with the group. I'm sure there were, but I immediately tucked in right behind the two pacers for this group. Not sure why this group had two pacers. Only one of them is listed in the program when I looked it up later when we arrived home. Which I don't know how that program made it home. I had tossed it in the waste basket at the hotel.
0: Bethany asked me if we were saving one, and I saw that one neatly folded on top of the trash can, and I pulled it out.
1: Okay. Anyway, the pacers didn't say a word to me nor I to them. Around mile 20, I finally saw you and Bethany. I was expecting you guys around 17 and a quarter, but I didn't see you all. And
0: That was because of parking and roundabouts. <laughs> we were not going to be able to get to mile 17 before you passed it.
1: Yeah, that's okay. Anyway, at mile 20, I was hoping to get my final Osmo bottle as my second bottle was running low, but I didn't see my bottle in your hand.
0: Yeah, I wasn't aware that you wanted another bottle at mile 20 I misunderstood the race plan that said to do an exchange at mile 13.
1: No, I don't think you misunderstood the race plan. I think I didn't articulate very well the plan. I think it's on me. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Somewhere between mile 20 and 21, one of the pacers said to the other, we are a minute 50 seconds ahead of schedule. Now I spoke. (laughs) What'd you say? I was excited. You want to guess what I said?
0: I don't have any idea.
1: I said, oh, word.
0: What does that even mean?
1: I'm not sure why I said that, and I have no idea what it means. But one of the pacers, the one that's not listed in the program, immediately took notice and realized that I was on a mission. He started switching his position when we turned corners to try to help protect me from the wind, and I just tried to hang on to his shoulder and match his step.
0: That was very nice of him.
1: I mean, I wasn't literally hanging on to his shoulder. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I know what you mean. Uh-huh. Just snugging up close to get as much advantage from the wind as possible.
1: Yeah. I forgot to mention that, you know, you had given me my AirPods, and I have my fancy new Garmin music watch. So around 13 and a half miles i cranked up my praise and worship music and I was just even in the struggle just trying to be thankful and praising the Lord often throughout that entire second half of the race. A lot of times when I'm running a marathon I use the suffering to pray for those I know are suffering or need to know the Lord but today it was just different like my heart was filled with thanks it was filled with gratitude when things were getting tough i was audibly thanking and praising him for some amazing answers to some very personal prayers that we've had in our lives i have seen the power of his restoration in many ways over the past four years and i just i just really felt thankful in the suffering is that weird
0: No, I I was in a similar situation in Gulf Coast back in December. I think when we are really struggling is when we really turn our attention to the Lord and realize that we depend on Him and He's our source of strength.
1: So anyway, back to this pacer, I had gotten ahead of the pace group and didn't really realize it. He wasn't holding the pace sign anymore. He and the other pacer were alternating who was holding the pacer sign, but he had given the other pacer the pace sign, and I realized he had left the group and was running just with me. What I think had happened is when the other pacer realized they were a minute 50 ahead of pace, he slowed his pace a little bit, but the other pacer kept stride with me and kept my pace as it was. Does that make sense? It
0: does. It does. It's not unusual for pace groups to disintegrate over the course of the race. Anyways, It was great that he took notice of you and made a special effort to encourage you the rest of the way. Yeah,
1: and again, when they passed me, like I jumped right on their heels. I never looked back and have no idea what the size of the pace group was at that point. So after about a mile, he told me to keep that pace, but he slowed, And I assumed it was to go regroup with the 355 pace group. When I saw the 21 mile marker, I thought, okay, I've got this. Here to the finish line is the papaw loop.
0: The papaw loop.
1: (laughs) I run the papaw loop at least once a week. And I did many of my tempo runs on that loop. So I kept telling myself, it's just the papaw loop. Would you like to explain why it's called the papaw
0: loop? Well, there's a loop near our neighborhood where my dad is living. Yep. And we oftentimes run this loop.
1: loop. Yep. Papa loop. Moments later, as in the previous two marathons, my toes began their infamous cramping, and it was my right foot. And again, I just began praying, Lord, please don't let my toes cramp. But if they do, I'm going to praise you. Anyway, I found some relief in my foot. And this happens several times with both feet. But I just continue to pray, get relief, and keep my pace going.
0: We're going to have to get that figured out. That's a recurring issue in each of your marathons.
1: Yes, it is a recurring issue.
0: And it has got to be painful.
1: Yes, it's also a recurring issue in swimming. But that's for another podcast.
0: <laughs> maybe it's related
1: yeah so i made my way to the 23 mile marker and thought okay this is the brook hill loop and i literally run the brook hill loop every day and it's an easy run like it's one of my favorite 5k loops
0: it's a really easy loop from our house yeah no traffic
1: so i'm thinking brook hill loop i've got this i'm really gonna do this about this time though things started getting hard again i thought about walking a few steps and here i go making deals in my head which i hate that i do this but it's i guess it's just part of it so i was rationalizing okay i'm a minute 50 ahead of the three hour 55 minute goal and all i need is 356 so i have time to spare (laughs) what would it hurt to walk a couple minutes what would it hurt So this is what I'm thinking. I was trying hard to practice what I preach in our coaching and not make this deal because I knew I would regret it later. But I was just about to take the deal and the aforementioned pacer showed up on my left shoulder again. I again started trying to match his steps and continued running. If he had been a second later, I'm positive I would have been walking.
0: That was good timing.
1: (laughs) It was good timing. He said, hey, how can I help? I said, pray. He switched sides to block a crosswind and began sharing things that he thinks about when it gets tough for him at the end of a race. He said things like, well, how am I going to reward myself when I finish at my goal? And he also said for him, it's usually some type of food, which I did not want to think about food at that moment. (laughs) And then he said, or you can think, What's left in this race is shorter than my easiest training day. And then he said, I didn't get up at 4 a.m. every morning to give up now.
0: No, you didn't.
1: (laughs) Then he said something that surprised me. He said, we're still ahead of schedule, meaning still ahead of the 3.55 pace group goal. He said, do you want to slow the pace a bit?
0: What did you say?
1: Well, to my bigger surprise, I said no. Mm. I was afraid. Nice. I was afraid if I started slowing down, I might lose the momentum.
0: You're one tough cookie. I
1: don't know. So soon I saw you and Bethany one last time, and I tossed my empty Osmo bottle. But I still didn't see my third bottle, but that's okay. I decided I would just hit the water station.
0: Yeah, I wish I had known what you really needed. I would have tried to help, but my fan plan... (laughs) Didn't go exactly as planned, but at least we had a plan and most of it worked out.
1: Yeah. So around the 23 and a half mile mark, he warned me that we were about to go back into the headwind, but to stay focused, we were almost finished. And at this point, I might as well finish strong. And he was not lying. <laughs> we made a U-turn into the headwind that i had experienced running toward the finish at the 13.1 the halfway point only now i was a mile farther out and the wind had picked up drastically not to mention guess what what (laughs) another hill
0: (laughs) oh no
1: i continued to match the pacers steps turned off the greenway back onto the street and now i could hear the finish line And I knew I was going to PR. So in that final quarter mile stretch, the pacer backed off. And all I could do was praise God for his strength. And the song that was playing in my headphones was, Just Give Me Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) So I crossed the finish line and stopped my watch. But I didn't see my finish time. I didn't even see a running clock. I'm sure there was one at the finish line. I never saw it. But I did look ahead, like past the finish line, and I saw you and Bethany looking
0: really excited.
1: And then I just started bawling like a big old baby.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, talking about praising the Lord at the finish, you know, I've done that a few times myself. Sometimes you're just overwhelmed with thankfulness and emotion for just being able to get to that point. I remember finishing the Ironman World Championship I was screaming. I had my hands up in the air. I didn't care that there was thousands of spectators lining the street. It was just a, I don't know, a really special moment with me and the Lord right there at the finish.
1: Yeah, and with all the screaming, they probably couldn't hear what you were saying. They anyway. probably
0: couldn't. <laughs> and it reminds me of Ryan Hall's finish in the Olympic marathon trials when it was in Central Park. How he crushed the field and you could just see him just elated near the finish with his hands up in the air. That's kind of like the pictures depict you at the finish because I didn't see you finish.
1: Yeah, I was, I was very grateful and thankful through that last quarter of a mile.
0: So your official time was 3 hours, 53 minutes, and 20 seconds, which that's a Boston qualifying time with an 11 minute and 40 cushion. You should be golden. Woo <laughs>
1: Anyway, I did stick around near the finish to thank the pacer, and you actually took a picture of me with him. I asked him his name. So, Mark, if you're listening to this podcast, please know that God sent you to help me through the Carmel Marathon. I didn't get his last name and wasn't really worried about it because I just assumed I could find him in the program. I thought I might find him on Facebook and give him a proper thanks. But, as I mentioned earlier... He was not in the program. He was not even scheduled to be a pacer.
0: For whatever reason, this just reminds me of the couple of Bible stories. One scripture in Hebrews where it talks about sometimes you might be entertaining angels and not know it. And there's other stories where, like on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking along with some people, and they don't even recognize that it's him. Mm -hmm. So...
1: And the pacer did walk down and talk to you and Bethany. I couldn't really understand what, I couldn't hear what he said to you. Anyway, I do want to thank you and Bethany for overcoming a lot of spectating difficulties and a cold, windy day to find me on the course a couple times.
0: Lots of roundabouts.
1: (laughs) Anyway, it meant a lot. And I also want to thank my daughter-in-law, Shelby. She was helping Kelly, me, plus Bethany, who was running the 10K And Jacob, who was racing the half marathon at the race start and ended up hauling around four or five bags. But she was a great sport about it, but I really did feel bad for her. She also captured the awesome finish with some great pictures, and I'm appreciative of that. And it was great to see both her and Jacob at the finish after the race.
0: Yeah, she was a big help.
1: She was. A little bit back to Kelly, she finished soon after me, and as always, she was all smiles. And although it wasn't her best day, she finished strong and was genuinely excited that I had done well. And I'm sure she's already out there plotting what our next adventure will be.
0: (laughs) So she had something extra special to be thankful for in this marathon. This was... The finish of her 20th marathon. Can you believe that?
1: Yes, I can believe it because she is great at the marathon and loves racing. She has run the Boston Marathon several times. Such a gifted and outstanding athlete. She had a little bit of a monkey wrench thrown into her training. She got the, we just had a violent stomach bug going around our town and she happened to catch that. A week before the race. and
0: Yeah, the weekend before the race.
1: Yeah, so anyway, she recovered from that and had a great day and love running with her. So as far as my C-Go, I felt like I implemented my nutritional goal for the first three hours. And then, of course, due to a few mishaps, mostly because I had not communicated well with you what my nutrition plan was... I was still pleased that I implemented it to the three-hour mark while I still had nutrition.
0: Yeah, it seemed like you consumed what you had according to the schedule.
1: Which I've never done before, so so I was pleased with that.
0: That's a step in the right direction.
1: Yeah, so I was going to discuss my training block in preparation for this race and also my go into detail with my race nutrition plan, but I think I'll just save all that for a future podcast.
0: I I think it's a good idea. (laughs) We've covered a lot of material so far.
1: We have. But there is one last thing I want to mention, if it's all right.
0: Sure. Go ahead.
1: Okay. So most people don't know this about me because I never want excuses for why I am or am not reaching fitness goals. But I just need to give thanks to God related to this, so I'm just going to overshare. Can I overshare? (laughs) You can. So in late 2018, I was diagnosed with a rare condition called benign essential blepharospasm. This is a rare neurological movement disorder. It's similar to, but not a precursor to Parkinson's, and it only affects the eyelids. So, I travel to the Vanderbilt Eye Institute, which is about, I don't know, 120 miles south of here.
0: It's a two-hour drive each way.
1: Yeah. We do that every six weeks, and I get 20-plus injections in and around my eyelids and forehead, and that helps manage the condition. When the condition is not managed, I'm considered legally blind with treatment mine is managed with the exception of my main triggers which are bright light wind cold temperatures and running so my running friends know this about me they know i run blind often and they i mean they're just exceptional they give me verbal cues so i don't run into parked cars unexpected debris in the road Toters on trash day like (laughs) they've saved me from all sorts of hazards out there So there is never a training run that I don't struggle with my vision Some days are much worse than others. So this race had all the triggers one. It's running two It was a bright sunny day Three it was 32 degrees Which was much colder than what i had been training and number four it had all the wind You know what? (laughs) God had opened my eyes. My eyes were wide open and I raced with clear eyes and a warm heart the entire day. He has done this for me in four out of my last five races. My eyes were clear on the Jack and Jill downhill, the Evansville half marathon, the St. Jude half marathon, and now this one, this Carmel marathon. The only one where I had my struggle like I always do in a hundred percent of my training runs was when we ran last September the Grand Rapids marathon. I did run that one mostly blind and you ran that one with me. You were registered for that race and you gave me verbal cues in that race. So I don't know why I have this condition, but I do know that God loves me regardless of the state of my eyes.
0: Yeah. And we're continually in prayer that God will heal this condition but he's got a plan and his plans are better than anything that we can think of
1: yeah you know at church a couple weeks ago jerry the pastor asked that everyone pray for healing from eyes and what i thought was what would be awesome is if god would just heal this affliction from the earth so that everyone that's in my support group would just we would all wake up one morning and the condition be gone
0: And, oh, what a miracle that would be.
1: (laughs) Oh, what a day of rejoicing that would be.
0: So, after the race, I remember you and I talking about Mark the Pacer, and the scripture that came to me and I shared with you that cold, windy morning after the race was Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven...
1: When I was telling you about the pacer coming back, because if God cares enough about me and my silly hobby to send a pacer to help me, how much more does he care about each individual and seeks to save the
0: lost? He loves us very much.
1: Yes, he does.
0: If you'd like to find us on Facebook, you can look for RYR Endurance Team, and we'll let you into our private group, and you can... Ask questions or suggest podcast topics. We'd love to get to know you. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com.
1: Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.